It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. Welcome to the National Security Hour on American Out Loud News, the radio network on iHeartRadio, where you will hear the voices of freedom and the out loud truth. I'm your host, Sergeant Singiri, Lieutenant Colonel, U.S. Army Retired, the CEO of the Neary Center for Strategic Engagement, and the host of New Paradigms of Sargis Singiri, and also the host for the National Security Hour. I do want to remind our audiences who are listening to the uh, program today that America Out Loud Talk Radio plays on the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen on our media platforms and players from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best-in-class apps available on the Apple, Android, and Alexa, where we stream 24-7. And now you can also hear them on the podcast on the same apps. My uh, honored guest today is a very dear, good friend of mine. And uh, she has uh, no need for introduction, but we're going to introduce her. And is Ann Mandersteel. She is the uh, chair of the Zalunko Freedom Foundation. And she has the honor now of carrying forward the mission and the legacy of the world-renowned medical freedom fighter and humanitarian Dr. Vladimir Zelenko, who I interviewed on my show, New Paradigms, before his passing. But more importantly, she's here today because we're going to talk about Operation Burning Edge, where she was actually uh, involved in uh, heading down to the Daring Gap in Panama from September 14th to the 26th. And uh, we're gonna see what information she was able to collect and what is happening on our Southern border. And welcome to the show. Sargas, it's great to be here with you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to join you and your audience. No, definitely. I know my audience wanted to hear from you because uh, what's happening on the Southern border does fall under our national security requirements. But uh, before you headed down on the Operation Burning Edge, I know that uh, uh, the Panamanian government had stated that they were going to in, uh, increase infrastructure in the jungle area along its shared border with Colombia, which for our audience out there is known as the Daring Gap, as well as they were going to ramp up deportations uh, to contain what they knew as being record-breaking flows of migrants that were passing through uh, Panama for this year alone. Um, and I do know that um, we had looked at possibly 350,000 migrants that had crossed the Daring Gap just so far this year as of early uh, September. And that shattered uh, last year's uh, record numbers that were in uh, 250,000. So by almost 100,000, it bypassed it. And basically, we had more individuals coming in uh, into Panama and the Daring Gap. Uh, what is your take uh, and what were you able to see down there when you traveled with Michael Yan, who's another dear friend of mine? Sure. Uh, nothing short of a mass invasion of illegal aliens is what is going on in Panama. They're coming through uh, the Darien Gap, which is a very dangerous journey. It's about a five or six day trek through the jungles up and over mountain ranges, which is fraught with mudslides. While we were there, 50 people perished in a mudslide. Uh, it's fraught with rising rapid, you know, the rivers have flashed floods and people get swept away. 
Uh, there's disease, there's animals, and of course, there are those who rob, rape, and kill each other as they make the journey across the gap. Sargus, it's incredibly dangerous. We talked to many people who made it through, and they all look like they were nearly, if not mostly, dead when they emerged. And the problem is the Panamanian government, while their heart may be in the right place, and I believe it to be so, my experience in Panama with government officials at the center front, which is their uh, equivalent to our elite Customs and Border Protection agents known as the BORTAC agents. They're incredibly professional, incredibly courageous, fit, and caring human beings. But unfortunately, they are not given the assets they need to stop the invasion. What they are doing is they're doing their level best to save lives, get the people uh, through Panama as quickly as possible, because they don't want them in their country. They are, you know, basically, uh, we we have journalists that joined Operation Burning Edge and that have been covering this as well, that, you know, ventured into the jungle. Shout out to Oscar Blue, who has, you know, did a great job along with Ben Berkwam. Uh, they, they, they endured three days in the jungle with Centerfront. And uh, we endured hours on the rivers going up into settlement camps that are run by the Embera Indians that have been overrun by four, five, 6,000 migrants per day in their camp that is destroying their habitat, their way of life, their uh, way of commerce. These are river people that are agricultural based in terms of how their society is run. And they had to reinvent themselves in terms of commerce to support the influx of these migrants that show up with no food, a lot of times no 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 money, no clothes, and in need of medical care. So their entire reservations have been flip-flopped. And the Panamanian government is not a uber wealthy government. They don't receive enough funding from the United States. And in fact, the United States is funding this invasion. And they're using the same tactics, Sargas, that they do uh, in on the southern border of our country, which is the non-governmental organizations, these NGOs, are being funded by our government to help facilitate human trafficking. So the Panamanians, about the best they can do is to get their center front guys in there. Now, mind you, one migrant camp, which was a reservation, has 19 center front uh, agents, and there's four to five or 6,000 migrants. At any moment, that is a recipe for disaster, considering how agitated these people are, the countries from which they're coming, and we know that a lot of the prisons like in Iran and Venezuela and Colombia are dumping their worst into the migrant flow and sending them to the United States, along with the Chinese as well, the military age Chinese. So Sargas, it is very alarming what we're seeing. The Panamanians grab these folks, process them as quickly as possible, put them on buses and ship them 12 hours north to the Costa Rican border and as we say, kicks the can down the road or up the road as these migrants will then be within a week or 10 days of the U.S. southern border. And that's what's going on in Panama <laughs> from a very high level. It's not good. No, it's not good. And um, I don't know if uh, you've had an opportunity um, to speak to anybody who might have been uh, tied to the current administration. Is, is there a viewpoint simply that we're trying to help people not to die in the jungle? That's why we're making so easy for them to come to the United States or at least through the Darien Gap? Um, or is there something else that is just being lost in the uh, in the conversation? The, 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 the straight up answer is the current 
administration or as a regime, I would call it, in power, wants nothing to do with um, shutting the border. They are all about the open border policies of the World Economic Forum, which I consider to be the new State Department for the one world government run out of the United Nations. The agenda is clear. They are looking to destroy the United States of America, and they're doing it with a multi-pronged attack. COVID was just sort of the opening salvo. We've uh, seen our financial systems being destroyed. We've seen businesses being destroyed. Uh, we fought, you know, diseases that were manufactured by our own government and wrapped in the label of Pfizer and Moderna. And now you're seeing mass migration on a global scale never witnessed before in in any of our historic times. And these people are, not, as I said, not bringing their best. They're not bringing trades that are going to be of use to the United States. And they're bringing disease. And the disease we see, Sargas, are things like yellow fever, dengue virus, and multi-drug resistant tuberculosis and MDTB, MDRTB, multi-drug resistant tuberculosis, uh, is making a wild comeback. We haven't seen TB in this country in years. Now it's starting to pop up, but more alarmingly, besides affecting the human population, is it is absolutely impacting our livestock because it is a zoonotic disease. It can jump from human to animal and animal to human. So the the cattle industry right now is getting decimated by tuberculosis. We're seeing it in Texas, where they've had to slaughter tens of thousands of herds of cattle, or tens of thousands of cattle in herds, I should say. It's also spread to other parts of the country in the dairy cattle area, because these migrants, when they get bussed into cities and they can't find work, uh, but they can get work out in the uh, you know rural parts of the country where dairy cattle and dairy farms are, you're seeing dairy cattle get slaughtered from tuberculosis. It's a real problem. And the administration is financing it through these NGOs. But more importantly, they're making it extremely accessible for people around the world using the customs, the CBP-1 app. It's a customs and border protection app called CBP-1. And they can make appointments and fly directly into the city of their choice. And through the app or through the immigration process, they're immediately getting signed up to receive $2,200 per month per migrant. Meanwhile, Sargas, you're probably aware of this, that the national average for Social Security is about $1,400 a month for Americans who pay taxes for 40 or 50 years and work their whole life. So it's just such an abomination. It's an affront on our Constitution. It's an affront on our founding fathers and our republic. And frankly, it's an affront on the American people. I say the United States government with these policies are declaring war on the Americans and our sovereignty and our freedoms and our safety and security. It is a massive national security threat across a multitude of areas from health uh, and and safety to food security. So we we have a real problem. Oh, we do. And even here in um, Chicago, actually, uh, last week, uh, I was absolutely shocked and floored to uh, find out that one of the police stations here, uh, the, the warning was do not come to the station because uh, they have scurvy <laughs> in the uh, station. Uh, for those who don't know, scurvy is a disease uh, that is caused by deficiency of vitamin C and then usually characterized by swollen bleeding gums and also opening of previously uh, healed wounds possibly, which uh, do affect uh, poorly uh, nourished in the old days, sailors, uh, if you went back to the 18th century, but now you see that coming in. And uh, I never thought, I thought somebody was joking when they told me that it was scurvy related in the police station, but I do work with the law enforcement community here. And uh, 
Uh, it's just uh, incredible the type of uh, diseases that are coming through the uh, pipeline. Let me ask you a question on these. Uh, you mentioned that various different uh, organizations are getting funding. Um, what are what are the names of those organizations, non-for-profit, and how much money are they making uh, per individual that they're able to bring through the pipeline? When you say how much money are they making per individual, are you talking about how much money per immigrant? Is is it worth to the organization? Correct. How much money well, are they making on the books? I can know? speak to this side of the border, how much money it is per immigrant. So, for instance, there's some very large ones like SLS, MVM, Southwest Key Programs, just to name a few out of the top 10 big ones. Uh, they're making $780 per person, per day under roof. And, you know, what we've learned in Operation Burning Edge, particularly as we study this in, in South Texas along the border in the Rio Grande Valley, is that they have turned some of these very large warehouses into child trafficking factories, essentially. So one area, one one rooftop we visited, one warehouse was down in Brownsville. It was a former Walmart supercenter that uh, a federal whistleblower by the name of Carlos Serralanos uh, brought us to. He worked for all of the top 10 NGOs his whole adult working life. That's all he knew. They provided good jobs in the Rio Grande Valley that paid probably $10 an hour more than what you could earn down there. And so they employed a lot of people and people stuck with it because the money was good. Uh, but what you've got is you've got organizations that are housing somewhere between 2,000 to 5,000 children under one roof and getting paid $780 per day per child uh, to feed, clothe, and house them and provide some sort of education. Now, you know, I know there's some expensive boarding schools and universities out there, but I don't think any of them cost anything like that. So it is a complete government slush fund money laundering operation while they are also engaging in child trafficking. And a lot of these organizations, sadly, are moving these children from warehouse to warehouse and working together as different organizations do to keep the money funnel going, they're also paying for the coyotes, for the cartels to smuggle these children in. And a lot of these kids lose their parents along this difficult journey because the kids are going to be put out into child sex trafficking. And a lot of these warehouses are flying children in the dead of night into homes and neighborhoods all over the country where these children are then presented to their, and I say in air quotes, a sponsor who pretends to be their aunt, their uncle, their you know mother, father, whatever, but they're homes of illegal aliens that are pimping these kids out. I received a list from uh, one of the federal whistleblowers that uh, was included 8,600 children that had been moved around the country into neighborhoods everywhere, uh, Sargas everywhere. And uh, that was just a four month period from one of these warehouses. We've got hundreds of these warehouses all over the country and they're all doing this. So we have child trafficking at a level that we can't even fathom happening in our neighborhoods all over the country. It's not just under these warehouse roofs. Uh, and the money is huge. It's absolutely unfathomable. The Health and Human Services has a $2.9 trillion budget. And I have yet to find all the line items directed at all of these different NGOs because they have it buried and uh, under funky places that you wouldn't think to look. So it's going to take a team of people to go through their budgets line item by line item and look to see where the money's going. But it's 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 immense. It's immense. Um, real quick, we we got a couple of minutes uh, and we could talk about it when the second portion of the segment begins. But 
do you know which um, uh, which department in the federal government can look at those numbers, uh, or has anybody from Congress tried to look into them? Well, um, I would hope somebody from Health and Human Services would step forward as a whistleblower. We've been talking about this now for two months. Um, you know, I think this is really a, a Freedom of Information Act request. Request. The problem with that is, as we know, they will change the language around this and call it something else. So it really requires somebody to get a hold of that whole budget and go line item by line item through that entire budget. Because like Joe Biden was using a pseudonym, these folks have become very crafty with how they spell things or or title things so as not to draw attention to what the money is really going for. It is so fraudulent what's going on in our government at this point, Sargas. It's really hard to you know, account for all the different money. But when Health and Human Services has a $2.9 trillion budget, you have to stop and ask yourself, what in the heck is going on with the quality of health care in this country has gone through the floor? Yeah. You know, it, it, is it really worth $2.9 trillion what's going on? And, you know, when these children are being trafficked and they want to go home, is it really worth $2.9 trillion to have a line item for, for these NGOs that are just basically child trafficking on steroids? Sargas, I know we've got to go, but our own military, Fort Bliss in El Paso, has a warehouse of children as well. So this is how pervasive it is. It's everywhere in our government. It's uh, is unfortunate. But um, we'll continue the discussion in the second segment with uh, Amanda Steele. Cofix RX nasal solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. We're back again with uh, my guest, Ann Andersteel. Uh, who just returned from Operation Burning Edge, which she was participating in from 14 to 26 September of this year, 2023. And she had the um, uh, opportunity to visit uh, Panama, the Darien Gap, and the uh, southern border. I want to remind our get, uh, our viewers out there or our listeners that uh, all my shows on the uh, uh, go-to podcast, typically one or two days after the broadcast is heard on talk radio, you can also hear them on Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, and iHeart Podcasts, and many more. Be sure you subscribe and rate the shows on Apple Podcasts for me. Uh, and I do want to kind of look into Congress a little bit more because this has been going on now for a number of years. Uh, both parties 
are now at least uh, the individuals within both parties have raised the concerns and even use the word that this is an invasion of our southern border. Why is it that Congress is still so inept to address this, given the fact that they control the purse? That's a great question, Sargas. And frankly, you know, the answer to me is they're just all treasonous and they're beholden to global special interests. And the globalists are a bunch of globalist psychopaths coming out of the World Economic Forum who have a completely different agenda. These members of Congress are really playing a game of patty cake. You know, we've had the same battles for how many years we're back to the budget, the continuing resolution, shutting down the government. How many times are we going to ping pong around with the same ridiculous talking points and subjects? And all we do is kick the can down the road and add to the federal deficit. There's, you know, there's or the federal debt, excuse me. There is no good news coming from Congress. And again, they are not incentivized to close the border. And I will say this much, when we were first investigating Operation Burning Edge and we were in Texas, we wanted to take a good hard look at a development in Houston, uh, in a suburb of Houston known as a colonia called Colony Ridge. Colonias are a development or or an outcropping of legal immigrants that are all living in the same community. Well, this colonia called Colony Ridge that we named Abbott City is about 60 square miles and currently has somewhere between 50 and 70,000 illegal immigrants living in it with the ability to house 200,000 plus in this community. And, you know, ICE you know, immigrations and customs will never step foot in there and make an arrest because they are not chartered to do so. Customs and Border Protection is not chartered to do so. The Declaration of North America signed by Joe Biden, Mexico President Obrador and Canada's Trudeau have dissolved the borders between those three countries and are all about moving moving migrants into America under the auspices of diversity, equity and inclusion. So Congress is operating based on a treasonous regime and power that was never elected but selected, again, by the globalist psychopaths and by, you know, the same people in Venezuela who invented Smartmatic, the operating system across all the voting machines. They've selected our leadership so they can destroy America. And they wave the Constitution like it's supposed to mean something while they trample on it every single day. Owen Schroyer from InfoWars is looking at jail time for 60 days because he's using his free speech platform. I mean, you know, J6, habeas corpus has been, has been suspended for all J6 prisoners. They haven't had their day in court. It just goes on and on what they're doing. But meanwhile, we're looking at a regime that has broken all kinds of laws and is clearly destroying America, instructing Customs and Border Protection agents to cut, you know, razor wire and allow illegal immigrants in to be processed and moved into these NGOs and Catholic charities, and, and and we're paying for all this. Nowhere in our constitution does it say that America is supposed to fund any of this. In fact, none of these agencies that are performing these heinous acts and crimes against humanity and against Americans were ever chartered by our constitution. So Congress clearly either doesn't understand the constitution, they don't understand for whom they work, or they just clearly work for the corporation of the federal government in that 10 square miles, and they clearly don't work for you. So at some point, we have to come to that realization, no matter what the answer to that question is, 
they're not working for us and we've got to take matters into our own hands locally. We have got to stand and fight as Americans to preserve this incredible country that God gave us as that second covenant nation. We've just forsaken all of it, Sargas. It's just very disturbing where we are right now. No, it is. And I know that uh, folks have uh, said, why aren't the American people, if Congress aren't going to do anything about it, try uh, legal means to force them to have to do it? But it seems like most of the work that is being done is being done not through the legal processes, but are being done through the administrative processes of the state, which kind of keeps it out of the legal challenges that you would be able to hold them uh, in the courts. Um, is there anything there that you see uh, or you have seen or kind of felt that uh, it allows them to kind of bypass the legal processes uh, by just uh, simply moving things through the executive process? If you're asking whether or not um, our our government is using just the executive process to bypass legal, oh gosh, they're doing it all the time. That's what we've witnessed now. I mean, even President Trump, right? I, I don't. I'm not going to speak for you, but I I love President Trump. I love his policies, but because he did not have a functioning Congress, people who were beholden to the voters who supposedly put them in those positions, he basically, with the exception of tax reform and the First Step Act ran the comp- the country like a company as an executive would using the administrative tools that he had before him, which is executive orders. He just did executive orders. So when one president leaves a company and another one comes in, if they want to take that company in a different direction like Joe Biden is, you can delete all the executive orders of the previous president of that corporation and, and write your own, which is exactly what Joe Biden did when he put in 66 executive orders day one and deleted a bunch of Trumps including one that was vital to our national security interest, which was our energy policy. So, you know, we are governing our country, which is supposed to be a republic where the states have rights. We are governing this like a corporation, but that's in fact what we are. You've got a federal corporation and you've got its subsidiaries, which are the 50 state corporations. And then you have all of their subsidiaries, which are the county corporations and the municipalities and municipal corporations. So it is a series of corporations and executive orders and administrative you know, decisions that are basically setting the policy. And unfortunately, these people are owned by globalist policymakers that do not believe in the um, idea of America. They do not believe in the idea of our, our government as a republic. A Republican form of government is the Constitution and federalism where the states have rights. So Greg Abbott, let's just use him as an example, Sargas, because I think he's a prime example. And then I'll move into DeSantis. But Greg Abbott, who seemed to be the darling for the Republican Party for some time, has now been exposed, again, thanks to Operation Burning Edge, we've exposed his maneuvers and his, you know, WEF, World Economic Forum, ordained policy of taking these illegal migrants putting a show of pretend force by floating out some barricades in the Rio Grande, just in a certain part. It wasn't like he barricaded the entire Rio Grande. He just put some barricades up here and there. But all that did was move the migrants to another area where Customs and Border Protection agents were there waiting to assemble the migrants in an orderly fashion. And then he bust these migrants that he had. He must some of them around the country, spreading disease in other places. So he is fulfilling the agenda of what the World Economic Forum wants. Again, that's the State Department for the United Nations. That's their de facto State Department because that is their agenda. 
So, you, you know, and the DeSantis did the same thing. Remember, he sent migrants to Martha's Vineyard. And of course, that played right into all the Trump supporters here in the state. It was a political maneuver. But at the end of the day, was was Martha's Vineyard going to keep those migrants there? Oh, heck no. Could they afford to fly him out immediately? Yep. So that whole thing was a political stunt to gain favor with the voters in Florida for DeSantis. And he's been exposed. So, you know, again, it's really it comes down to do the Americans want to get organized at the local level and ignore the federal government, which is nothing but a district of corruption dumpster fire. Let it burn down and flame out. And we've got to resurrect this country the way it was started 250 years ago when people came over here with literally no help except what they brought with them. And they stood up created little communities, villages, towns, cities, counties, states, et cetera. And they, and they built something out of nothing. Um, and that's basically what we're going to have to do again. We've got to stand back up at the local community level. And we're doing it in Florida, by the way, Sargas. No, you guys definitely are. Um, I, I do want to kind of look at, uh, uh, with the, I mean, the, look, if the migrants are not coming, um, this this would be a dead dead issue, but they're right. coming and they're spending a lot of money. Some of them are spending more U.S. dollars than even Americans have in their pockets to get here. Um, I I do know that initially we looked at the numbers. Uh, they look like they're flipping now. You may have more uh, younger, better fit, multi age males coming through. You have more Chinese coming through this year than you had from uh, any other country. Um. What have you seen and the numbers that initially were from last year to what we have today uh, that is something of a security challenge that has to be addressed? So last year, uh, we were lucky and lucky. I say this lucky. But in the Darien Gap, for instance, if you had 30,000 migrants come through in a month, that was a lot. We're already seeing over 80,000 migrants coming through in a month now. So we're on track for a million migrants in 12-month period coming out of the Darien Gap. And that's just one aspect. Uh, if you look at the migration flows uh, and the countries that are coming through uh, and what the, the policy changes of this regime have enabled, if you were coming through the Darien Gap, it's because you did not have a lot of money and you were willing to assume the risk and the danger of making that six-day trek through the mountainous jungle which was fraught, like I said, with disease, rape and robbery, um, as well as, of course, just natural hazards, flash floods, mudslides, et cetera, uh, and, and the animals in the jungle. You were willing to risk that because it was the least cost route. Um, but if you have any money at all, and if you're from China, you know that, uh, and you know this, Sargus, nobody leaves China without the approval of the Chinese government. So why are they allowing all of these military-age men that are incredibly fit as my good friend Colonel John Mills says, I'd like to talk to the people with good teeth and flat stomachs because clearly, you know, if you're under 30 and you look like that and you're coming here, you've been trained. So the Chinese don't let anybody go uh, without their approval. So why are they allowing all these young military age male males to assemble and come through the Darien Gap? It doesn't cost them a lot of money to send them that way. But for those that have money, they could fly in to other countries like Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Mexico, and the journey becomes a lot simpler. And that's what you see happening. But then you layer on the fact that the Customs and Border Protection have an app now, CBP-1, 
which the cartel, by the way, hacked into and was making appointments for up to 190 different countries and allowing these people to fly into the city of their choice and bypassing the whole Customs and Border Protection entry points. They're literally flying into Atlanta, to New York, uh, to West Palm Beach. I saw this with my own eyes when I was in Dallas a few weeks ago. And uh, because I do fly a lot, I have a high status on American Airlines. And I always, I would say probably 60, 80% of the time, get an upgrade to first class because I have so many miles and so much flying and my level, um, which is nice. I, I'll take the free upgrade. That's awesome. But my upgrade got squashed because an illegal immigrant carrying her legal immigrant papers and a screaming baby got the first class seat that I probably would have gotten, but they gave it to her. So how did she get into that place? How did she get directly into Dallas? Well, she probably flew in on that CPB one app. And so she was on her way to Palm Beach. How about that? Well, it's a shame, but it's a reality of what we're dealing with. Um, and it doesn't seem like it's going to change at least through this administration. So if it's not going to change through this administration, um, what are we going to do about it as far as uh, setting the stages for hopefully a change in administration that gives us an opportunity to at least maybe try to address it over the next four years after the uh, next election. Um, so what would be the plan from your perspective if you're an advisor as to how to progress? Oh, it's uh, become crystal clear to me. And in about the last seven, eight, nine months, I have become a stalwart for tactical civics and tactical civics is a trademark name by a gentleman named David Zuniga. He started an organization that has a website, tacticalcivics.com. This is a very simple and as I call it, an add water and stir constitutional solution to the problem we have at hand because we, the people have forsaken our constitution. We have forsaken our declaration of independence and we certainly have forsaken our civic duty we are the government and the elected officials are supposed to do what we say. And what we're seeing now is they're doing anything but what we're asking them to do. And we have no place to take our grievances. We have nowhere to go to adjudicate problems. That's what we've learned, right? We are basically defenseless and offenseless, but we really don't have to be offenseless. We can actually get together and solve these issues. And we've done it in Florida where we've actually assembled with our county commissions and we've gone to our commissioners and we've educated them, for instance, with COVID, we educated them onto the ills of, of uh, the poison death shot and remdesivir and why they just, you know, should not, you know, have these moving forward in, in enforcing any of the residents of these counties to be subject to the government, the federal government or the WHO, as our good friend, Dr. Zelenko likens it, the World Homicide Organization should have zero jurisdiction over my body sovereignty. And so Collier County led Florida with the first initiative of a resolution to protect the, the residents, the citizens of Collier County and Naples from the uh, federal government overreach, as well as the WHO. It became an ordinance. And then they actually upped the game and turned Collier County into a Bill of Rights sanctuary county, as opposed to these you know, sanctuary county for illegal aliens. You actually have a sanctuary county for your Bill of Rights which is something that has been trampled on by our federal government and other organizations acting in agency around the world. So Tactical Civics is going to train people and they've got almost a thousand chapters in a thousand counties around the country right now and it's growing exponentially. 
when I first started with them, it was a couple hundred counties. So in the last six months, we've grown it quickly and it's growing very quickly every day now. And this will teach you how to stand up and get an ordinance for your citizen grand juries and then take it to the next level and get your Second Amendment constitutionally uh, protected, you know, militias, which basically is a well-regulated militia for enforcement of any indictments that come from the grand jury. What do I mean by that, Sargas? Very simply, if a grand jury indicts somebody for a crime, whatever that crime is, they will present that crime and that indictment to the sheriff in that county. The sheriff should arrest because the grand jury indicted, right? The sheriff works for the people and the grand jury is made up of we the people. If the sheriff decides to side with their corporate county government paycheck providers and not do his or her job that the people have asked him to do or her to do, then the well-regulated militia would be that enforcement arm. When the sheriff won't enforce, the the militia will make the arrest. And the public pressure that must ensue on the public prosecutor for the county to pursue that indictment and prosecute in a court, an Article III court with a jury of the indicted's peers, will manifest in the county courthouse. And if the jury finds them not guilty, so be it. The jury spoke and that he or she indicted individual is free to go. But if the jury finds them guilty, the indictment will prevail. And, uh, you know, the punishment will commence based on the, you know, whatever the indictment was for. So and, it, uh, and yeah. let's do this on the, on the third segment. I'm going to uh, explore a little bit more on the militia process um, and uh, we'll come back and we'll finish up with Amanda Steele on the lessons learned from the daring guy. Changing the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Welcome back to the National Security Hour. I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Sargis and Gil, U.S. Army Retired. Uh, we're here to discuss with Am Andersteel, who's the uh, chair of the uh, Zelenko Foundation. Uh, and uh, she now has the honor of uh, carrying forward the mission and legacy of the world-renowned medical freedom fighter and the humanitarian Dr. Vladimir Zelenko. And her thoughts of, on Operation Burning Edge, which she was uh, uh, part of from 14 to 26 September, that looked at all the issues that we are dealing with when it comes to our southern border. I do want to make sure that our audiences uh, are 
are aware that uh, please uh, be sure to make AmericanOutloud.com your daily stop for the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the uh, stories, our articles, and the videos so that we can help secure America's future. You can also find out more about my show and get all the uh, latest podcasts. If you go to the menu navigation bar at AmericanOutloud.com under our show and or schedule, you'll be able to find out more and you will be in the know. And uh, I do want to take a look at the militia concept that you mentioned. It is very important for us, given the fact that you're right, a well-regulated militia can easily, easily help the states counter what the federal government is doing. Why is it that the various different border state or even non-border state have not tried to use the militia to address the issue of this illegal immigration or what people have called even an invasion? Well, I think that's pretty self-evident with the fact that we've had a federal government that has attacked our rights to self-defense for as long as I've been alive. I mean, they don't want in order for this government to po- to you know to control the United States in the fashion in which they want to and ignore the fact that we uh, apply federalism and we are a union of states that come together and the states ordain the power of the federal government for 17 essential services, which you and I both know have been blown clean by. They have hundreds of agencies that have nothing to do with the 17 essential services ordained by our constitution. They are in fear of Americans that can, you know, protect themselves per the Second Amendment for self-defense. But, you know, a well-regulated militia doesn't mean that it's a regulation in the sense that we use it now. It's not about a regulatory state. It's a, There's a nuance there. It means the militia was in an effective shape to fight. So, you know, the Militia Act of 1792, um, I'm sorry, of, of, of 1795, it uh, gave the president the authority to call out the militias permanent. So the Militia Act of 1808 went on to then further provide funding for arms and equipment to state militias. We have to have an ability to defend ourselves. And part of the problem is these people in, in federal government and state government, our governors, for instance, have sworn an oath, supposedly, to uh, defend our country from enemies, both foreign and domestic. Well, we have international threats coming across our northern and southern border every single day. We also have domestic enemies that are funding these international threats coming over our border every single day. So why aren't the governors calling out for the militias? Because, you know, the American people have a right to self-defense. And unfortunately, the Americans have been brainwashed into thinking you've got to go constantly to the federal government for support, and when your own sheriff isn't isn't able to deal with the onslaught, and and they're getting shut down by the governor of their state, um, who is encouraging this onslaught, it's it, it becomes a real problem, you know. And we now have to turn inward and go back to the concept of a well-regulated militia, where we have men and women who are fit to defend their turf, their home turf, and you've got to do it county by county. We are getting down to that proverbial hand-to-hand combat, Sargis, where we have to examine who the who our public servants are. Do they have our best interests at heart and at stake? And are they exhibiting policies and governing to put our, you know, our health and safety first and foremost? And I would argue that majoritively speaking, we're not seeing it right now. 
We're seeing oh. people that are more concerned with their own self-interest than actually the interests of the of the common defense of America. Well, if they had our interest, our country wouldn't be where it is today. Unfortunately, you know, I've uh, fought against insurgencies. I've led insurgencies yep. to fight. And it's not difficult to run an insurgency. All you got to do is show that people in power are not capable. So if you want to really break down the institutions, you look at our uh, educational programs and our teachers, uh, they're pretty much broken down. Look at the politicians, they're broken down. Look at the... What's happening to the military is broken down. Take a look at our legal processes and systems. They're broken down. So if you can start breaking every institution that was created that this country sits upon, especially when it comes to the uh, rule of law, uh, then you could have a pretty much effective insurgency. And you can say, look, the current government is not able to uh, provide anything. And the more folks you have that are coming through that southern border and some of them um and i would like your thoughts as to why are they even agitated what is their expectation or what did they believe that the government here was going to do for them that they think that we owe it to them to be able to do something and help them deal with the situation that they put themselves into by literally picking up and saying i'm going to walk this this uh, line and i'm going to try my best to get into the united states so what is it uh, that is really from your interaction with them in uh, their mindset that makes them believe that they have a right to violate the laws here, but still have expectations from the current government? Well, let's I mean, look, when you have people looting stores in the United States because the laws now allow them to take, you know, anything under 900 bucks is not a crime. And you can go into a store and just walk out blatantly with $900 worth of merchandise. Uh, you know, that's an incentive alone for a lot of these people who've never seen a television set before. Then you've got the lure of the $2,200 a month they're just going to get for being an immigrant in this country. Uh, you've got the fact that the CCP has mapped every single home in America using Google Earth satellite images. And they're being told because, you know, the uh, American Indian is an ancestor to the Chinese, to the Asian, that by by that fact alone, this land of America is really theirs to take and the homes in America will be for them to use. And so, you know, honestly, Sargus, it's not too far-fetched to consider that a lot of these migrants with their cell phones, their, their, their free cell phones, their money, their free health care, all the freebies that they're getting it, that will not end up be receiving. You know, it's very possible they'll receive a text message one day, say, "Oh, I see you're on the corner of such and such and such and such. There's a house at this address, two blocks from you. It's yours. Go take it." You know, they're able to go get guns, right? They're even able to get jobs. They're able to keep their twenty two hundred bucks a month. They're not, you know, they're. It's not foreign for these people for you know five, ten people to live under one small roof. So if you've got ten people at twenty two hundred a month, you got twenty two thousand dollars a month plus free health care. Uh, and other, you know, perks, you're you're looking at a pretty well off, you know, they're going to be very well off. The problem is they don't understand the cost of living here in the United States is necessarily skyrocketing. We're becoming Venezuela. So these people who left, say, Venezuela for a better way of life because they couldn't deal with the inflation and what happened are going to come here and experience the same thing. The pressure is going to be put on to the inner cities as the food supply becomes more problematic. And when that does become a serious problem, that's when the riots are going to happen. Our cities are going to burn down, which is exactly what they want. 
They want our, empty, our cities emptied so they can go back in and rebuild in the image of their 15-minute city policy, which is exactly what they want. So they've got to empty the cities, which they've already done with COVID. They've got to continue the emptying and the destruction of them by bringing in these migrants, and um, they'll use them to serve the agenda of the World Economic Forum, which is to rebuild smart cities everywhere, but also reduce population. So I, I think Americans are in for a real horrific wake-up call over the next couple of years, Sargas, as they watch all of this unfold and realize their real estate values, which were their nest eggs, have collapsed. And well, I, uh, I, 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 I don't know if they'll ever wake up. Uh, and unfortunately, I, I, I just don't think it's going to happen. But yeah, look, um, the last uh, presidential election, you had a lot of the uh, suburban uh, uh, women who who did vote for the current administration, if you look at the poll numbers, my question would be if you know and you're seeing all these women coming through the southern border and uh, maybe you can talk better about the percentage of how many of these uh, women have been assaulted, raped. Um, is there any understanding or any kind of a pattern that you're seeing that is possible that some of these suburban women will side and say we can't put these women in this process and this pipeline and looks what's happening to them that we need to have a leadership change or you think they're going to just basically um, hold on to what they believe was a stream in their heads that if you just got rid of the previous POTUS, uh, you know, we'd be in a better position because they didn't like the language sometimes that the previous POTUS used. Is there anything that you've seen that might be a collective um, um idea and understanding that might be able to get at least the suburban uh, women, uh, the uh, the mothers, to be able to say that we cannot sustain what we're doing to these uh, women who are being trafficked to that southern border? Well, I think if women understood um, that as many as 80% of the women and girls coming to the United States from Central America are sexually assaulted, I think that they understood that, really understood that, that might get them to pause and think, wow, that's a horrific way to make your way into this country. And if you also understand that a lot of the jobs that these people thought they might be able to get when they came here, if they were really coming here, quotes, to have a better life, and they thought these jobs existed only to find out that this current administration has offshored the jobs back to the countries from where they came uh, and that they're out of luck. And now they've got now they've got to figure out what they're going to do. And yes, maybe they don't want to live with 10 other migrants. They really wanted to have a home and build a family. And $2,200 a month is going to be eaten away by $8 cups of coffee. I think they would recognize, oh my God, this is not what I thought it was. And you're starting, that's why you're starting to see, you know, New York City, the people there are really now getting outraged. I forget what Mayor Eric Adams is doing. That's more theater. I'm talking about the actual people who live on Staten Island. Uh, when they're kicking people out of the elderly homes and filling them up with migrants, people are furious. You can't do that. They're Americans that paid to be there and you're giving it away to migrants. You know, I think those are the stories that are really just squelched by the mainstream media and, uh, you know, de-boosted by Google and other search engines that are, you know, in alignment with the Silicon Valley speech cartel, globalist psychopaths, as I call them. So it's very hard to get the messaging out. Um, I, I don't, uh, I, I agree with you that people aren't waking up and it's because the media is so complicit, but they will wake up Sargas. And, and the point of no return for them is when the banks fully collapse and then everybody is out of money and your real estate values have tanked and, uh, you will own nothing and be happy. And you will have fulfilled Klaus Schwab's world economic forms chairman's dream. 
And that's unfortunately the direction this country is headed. And, you know, we've seen that history has told us republics last somewhere between 200 to 250 years. We have way past our sell by date. And I don't think we've been a republic for a long time, by the way. So um, we, we just don't have a, a, an electorate, a voting citizenry that gets it at this point. And they're not going to get it till they're personally impacted. And that's unfortunately how it is most of the time in this country. Well, um, I don't think we will. Unfortunately, even when the um, Korean uh, War veteran was kicked out of his uh, residence because the uh, uh, the organization that was housing him decided to take the money from the federal government uh, to be able to house migrants, um, I didn't see any collective action by uh, veterans organizations to say we're going to march on Washington. No, um, I mean, they didn't come together. Uh, they no. talk about the story. They share about it. They say it's awful. But then uh, they just basically move forward and do whatever they were doing to begin with. Um, so if the veteran organizations cannot, uh, you know, muster a march on Washington based on what happened to a, a Korean veteran or Vietnam veterans that's happening out there, um, if the elderly who supposedly their vote uh, is a core that is going to have any effects in the next elections. They're not willing to do anything, given the fact that you have migrants getting more money than they are receiving from their Social Security. Uh, if uh, at the same time you have uh, um, individuals uh, in the Black community, which a lot of people in the Democratic uh, aisle would say that the core of the Black community is those older establish uh, members of the black community if they're not willing to do anything against any of the uh, so-called Soros-funded uh, uh, prosecutors who are just basically allowing the uh, younger black community to basically kill each other in the streets, then uh, I don't know what group of individuals you're going to find out there that are right. willing to do something as simple as just march on Washington, <laughs> you know, protest. Um, uh, go for you know uh, a day and hold a sign up. Uh, it is not that difficult, but if they're not willing to do that, I don't see how this country is going to ever change. Um, on, unless you know we get involved in what happened to us, and uh, you know, um, uh, in nine eleven, when uh, the country was attacked by a foreign power. And uh, at least everybody united and we uh, went to war for 20 plus years. Um, unless something like that happens with China, I just do not see uh, how we are going to recover from this uh, at any level. But I do want to give you a last word. We got uh, four minutes left. And um, as I bring as I kind of laid the bleak uh, scenario out there, what is it that can uh, give us some rays of hope? and the positives that we might be able to at least take the ideas and actualize them into mission sets that allows us to not just make a change in this current administration by bearing somebody else in for maybe four years if it's President Trump or someone else from the uh, Republican Party for another eight years. But what is it that we can do uh, to maybe affect a change uh, across the board that gives us an opportunity to at least uh, for the immediate time uh, to secure our borders? Well, as far as securing our borders, it's going to require the people that live along the border, as well as the rest of the country, to uh, question and de actually demand 
that uh, the governors of the states deploy the National Guard and shut the border. It cannot be more simple than that. Governor Abbott shut the border during COVID. It can be done. And when you shut the border, they stop coming. They just stop coming. Mexico is happy to help us at this point. They were happy to work with President Trump to help also facilitate border control. We did not have a problem under this under President Trump. If we shut the border, they will stop coming. It is that simple. But until we actually get to a place where the people start demanding it, and they won't start demanding it until it personally impacts them, then we're just left with the notion. And I'm going to read to you directly from the Declaration of Independence. And I call this a very simple instruction manual, by the way, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. And until we decide that we want safety and happiness back in our lives and that we need to abolish the current regimes that are in power all the way down to the municipal level, and I can tell you the mayor of McAllen, Texas, is all about uh, moving migrate migrants into the community. He's widening the bridge to connecting to Mexico, and he brought Abbott in to, to basically punctuate his policies uh, until we start to affect them and expose them and demand of them to do what's necessary to protect the safety and happiness of Americans, then I submit to you, we will continue down this path. But if you read that Declaration of Independence and you read your constitution, it will tell you the power rests in the people, not in the government. So we need to exercise our power. It's that simple. Sargas. It is that simple. And thanks, Sam, for joining us on the National Security Hour to point out the simplest uh, means and ways by which we can have an effect and a change in our nation and our future for our kids and for our great-grandchildren. Um, I want our audiences to know, again, um, uh, be sure to make AmericanOutloud.com your daily stop uh, for the latest news and happy happenings. Uh, we must all do our part, uh, share the stories, the articles, and the videos and I do want to thank our audiences for joining us uh, on the mission. Uh, the National Security Hour is the tip of the spear and the epic battle to defend the United States of America. And uh, thank you very much, and God bless you for everything you have done. Thank you, Sargas. God bless. <laughs>